Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. And welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am not Sir Matt the Bud Knight, but I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today, we are into a Storm of Swords, Catlin 3. And it just so happens that even though Matt's not here, we were able to, you know, call the banners as we do whenever one of us misses the show. And it's funny because the last time we called this person on the show, we did Catlin 2, I think. And that is the always wonderful Lady Joanna. Lady Joanna, how are you doing? Oh, Lady Joanna. <laughs> I love the title there. <laughs> I'm doing great, Jimmy. Thank you so much for having me back. Oh, it's a it's a pleasure. And, you know, we're sirs and ladies here. Uh, we do a little bit of role play here on the podcast. But, you know, I like to think deep, down deep we all are sirs and ladies. And so, or oh. maybe a mix of the two at some point. But uh, it's it's wonderful to have you back. Uh, Matt said, you know, I'm going to Rome. He's he's over in Italy doing his thing. He's sending me pictures of tiramisu and pizza and everything else all the canals that you could imagine and i'm stuck here and it's getting cold and i'm like why didn't i get to go with matt like why didn't he take me it's not fair same thing i'd want to go to rome i sounds so fun you know i don't get any vacations that's all i'm saying from ben the knee i gotta be here week in and week out you know my back hurts from carrying the show already no i'm I'm just kidding i hope matt hears this uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we are uh, very happy to have you uh, back, Joanna. It, it was funny because I was thinking, well, what chapter are we going to be discussing? Because I know that you've been recently reading through the series and you're actually uh, wrapping up or wrapped up Dance with Dragons. I just, yeah, I, I finished uh, Dance with Dragons about a that's week right. ago. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So in the last time we talked, you had just finished A Feast for Crows, I believe. That's right. Yes. Yes. We talked right after I finished, like the day I finished A Feast for Crows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I I started looking and I said, well, she just she's in dance. She's finished dance. And where are we at? And I just laughed because we are in Catlin three. And the last time you were here was Catlin one or two. And I didn't mean for that to happen. It seems intentional, but it wasn't intentional. But it is kind of a nice consistency, right? Like maybe we'll kick Matt off the show every time we have a a Catlin chapter. What do you think? Well, I'm down. I'm down for that. <laughs> I'm available. Not Sir Matt, but I'm available. I, I think the Catlin chapters are very interesting. Um, maybe we can have you. Maybe we don't have to kick Matt out. Maybe we'll do three person uh, shows for this. But really, you know, any of the chapters would be great. But this is a pretty significant uh, Catlin chapter. But before I jump into this, this chapter, we kind of talk through it. Uh, what was it like reading Dance with Dragons a second time? Oh, it was wonderful. I I am a huge fan of the series. I love the book. I know that many people consider that maybe a least favorite in this series. It certainly takes its time in certain ways. 
I, but I feel like the world building is just next level in that story. I feel like the world building is, building is amazing. And as a rereader, it was just, even if as a first time reader, you could do this, just look at, look at the character arcs and just see some parallels in things that characters are going through. And it was just really interesting to, to notice that. Uh, love the book. Yeah, I, I think so. For those who don't know, Lady Joanna has a YouTube channel. She's part of the sphere I'm in where we call BookTube uh, and we review all types of books, uh, you know, some literary fiction, but mostly fantasy and sci fi for me and Lady Joanna. And in our sphere, people read a lot of books. People don't reread too often, it doesn't seem. And in the fantasy book reader circle, the dance of, Dra a dance of dragons is considered a bit of a slog. But over here, in the community around the Song of Ice and Fire, the diehards, if you will, uh, we tend to love A Dance with Dragons. I, I think it is generally the second favorite. We ran a poll one time on, on the YouTube channel and we got a lot of votes. Like I want to say it was almost like 10,000 votes. I might be wrong. Maybe it was a thousand. I don't know. Anyways, uh, A Dance with Dragons was just behind A Storm of Swords. Like people really love A Dance with Dragons because the ending is insane i mean john left dead essentially in uh there and then you have danny uh with drogon i mean it's just a, such a powerful ending uh so i think in the community a dance of dragons is very favorably looked upon and those happen to be my favorite two chapters <laughs> honestly oh, they're the ones that stay with me that, that stayed with me the most when i was rereading it and i felt the tension all over again i felt like i was punched in the gut for that betrayal to, to poor Rob. I mean, not Rob. Yeah. No, John yeah. Snow. Sorry. Yeah. John Snow. No, you're and, <laughs> and with Danny, I, oh, I, I was just, I was just feeling the tension with every single step she took in that last chapter. I remember how, how nervous I was the first time I read that book, how af afraid I was that George was going to kill Danny. And <laughs> so relieved that she didn't die at the end but I still felt it I still felt every step like I said it was so painful so uncomfortable he really drew it out and just in the perfect way so I had the best time with the book yeah and it's it's kind of crazy to think about like pre-show a song of ice and fire where we don't know right now a dance of dragons did come out when the show was out but the later seasons weren't out but it's like your worry that Danny might've been killed off was an extremely realistic worry, especially if you think about the fact that now you have Tyrion coming over, you have Barristan there. So it's not like, well, he would never kill Danny because then there's no one there in Marine. And it's like, well, no, we have other main characters there now. So it, at the time, it feels like a very realistic possibility that we might be saying goodbye to Danny. I mean, he does, in fact, kill Jon Snow. Uh, we mm -hmm. all think he's going to come back at this point. But uh, it's just amazing that uh, this story feels like the stakes are that high and that no one really is safe. Um, in retrospect, and you're rereading it, maybe it's not as prevalent uh, in the reading experience, but for sure is, is what makes that first read through so special. Yeah, no, I, you know, I was expecting that I was kind of expecting on reread that that wouldn't be as intense for me since I know she's going to survive. But I still feel like he wrote that chapter so well, that you feel like, it's funny, because I feel like in fantasy, there are various, I think there are various times when authors have shown characters in survival scenes, maybe barefoot through the desert or whatever. 
But that particular scene, I just felt like he made it so uncomfortable for her, like in every possible way. And uh, I feel I felt her need for survival. I felt everything, even as a rereader. So that surprised me. But yes, as a first time reader, I was actually pretty certain she would die after that John chapter. Um, and after, yeah, I mean, there were so many, so many reasons I thought that she was going to die. Um, so glad that that didn't happen, but <laughs> it was a fantastic reread experience for me, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. One of the things that I've really started to come into, uh, you know, the knowledge of not knowledge, but maybe recognition of is that George has an amazing knack for being able to pull horror out of situations that are like dire, but he finds like the horror in them. Uh, and a lot of this is coming because I've been reading a lot of his short fiction, which a lot of it is sci-fi horror. It, it's sci-fi, but it's really horror. And oh man, I Sand Kings. I'm just on this book. Uh, so creepy, so atmospheric. But then even reading today's chapter, when he talks about the dead boys being thrown on the days, it's like it is the details that he chooses to focus on in these situations that are grim are not in the manner where I feel like they're um you know, I hate to use this word, but like glorifying it or really trying to draw the emotions out. It's like the cold, hard facts of the situation is what he relays to you. And it's the most like human thing about his writing. And it just, uh, it goes so far with me to get the emotion out of me during, uh, you know, a book or even just a single scene. That's so well said. I like the way you said that, because I do think that that's the case when you see the corpses there and he's um, zooming in on things like how the blonde boy had been trying to grow a beard, just these mm. little details about how these are just almost children in Catelyn's eyes, but uh, but they're corpses and they're shrunken. And it's, yeah, I think that you're right, that it's, uh, there's almost like an element of horror, but it's grounded in this like hard reality. Yeah, I think I think a lot of times people talk about Song of Ice and Fire and its bleakness and its grimness and everything else. And they think it's like this, you know, very lavish description of disgusting things. But rarely does George do that. Uh, I think that he actually does a really good job of balancing uh, that act. And that that's that's one of the reasons why I love the series so much is because even when I know things are coming, the way that he words things uh, and the, the even the words he chooses are just um really impactful really really impactful so i'm, I'm glad that you reread a dance with dragons we're glad you did the whole reread are you going to be reading duncan egg or what oh yes i will yeah. <laughs> i need to figure wow. out when to insert that into my tbr so um, but i will be reading it yeah i know, yeah. I know. easy easy just okay just, you can throw on the audiobook <laughs> i mean the audiobooks are fantastic mm -hmm. um we would love if you read Duncan Egg and came on and talked to us about it because Duncan Egg is, it, it's strange. I know people who have read these books five or six times and they still have never read Duncan Egg or Fire and Blood. And I'm like, it's just more George doing a song of ice and fire. Like it's so good. It, it's Duncan Egg is on the same level as the main series for me, in my opinion. And in some ways better. Um, I'm not going to go as far as to say that, you know, the hedge Knights is good as a storm of swords, but it is certainly at the same tier of writing for me. So you, you got to read them, Joanna. You have to. Oh, I will. I will definitely read them. I love the series enough. I read it a second time. So I'm certainly am not tired of A Song of Ice and Fire. So that's how you uh, can get another link in your maester's chain. That's that's the only <laughs> well said. <laughs> Do you need one? I need one of those. <laughs> well, 
I think we can jump into the chapter here. So, folks, this is a Storm of Swords, Catlin 3, and we are now uh, past the point where Rob has kind of broke the news that he has ruined everything. Uh, and Catlin is very, very depressed in this chapter for multiple reasons. I think she's starting to see the writing on the wall, and she's seeing that, um, you know, bad things are about to be born out of bad decisions, essentially. So to give a recap of this chapter, um, this is where we see Karstark be punished and eventually beheaded for killing two of the captives, which were Willem and what is the other one? I always forget his name. Oh, no. Oh, here it is. Tion Frey and Willem Lannister. Uh, they are basically executed unjustly, not in battle, as captives. And this is treason. And we see Rob Stark deliver some of the most cold lines I have ever read in fantasy oh, yeah. or any books. And ends up taking Karstark's head, which has all kinds of ramifications. They have lost the Karstark forces. And Catelyn is the POV that we're through. And she is just having a lot of internal dialogue, relaying it back to her own sons and her own decisions. And it's not a long chapter, but has massive, massive implications further in the book. And for me, this is almost Rob becoming a man in some ways. Maybe possibly too late, but... And it's also, I think, Catelyn understanding what she has done. And it is a very emotional chapter. It is a rough chapter and a perfect example of something George does better than almost anyone I've ever read. And that is mixing in dialogue with his scenes, with exposition, and moving the scenes along while just giving you... I mean, the dialogue that is in between the actions flows so well in this chapter. This is almost a perfect chapter to me. Uh, it could have been a short story, honestly. That's kind of how it reads. Uh, we see the crime, we see the perpetrator, and we see the sentence all get passed, and not through the perpetrator or the executioner's eyes, but the mother. And it's just, uh, it's captivating stuff. I mean, this is this is a great, I always I say this every week, it's a great chapter. <laughs> it's never not a great chapter on this podcast. But I just think that this is one of the better chapters when it comes to flowing in and out of dialogue and the passage of time even uh, just kind of flows and goes. And uh, it's just a skill that whenever I write, I wish I could have. But what, what are your th overall thoughts on this chapter, Joanna? Oh, I think that was beautifully said about the mixture between dialogue and, um, and setting and everything. I think like one thing that I was also noticing too is there feels like I love the way he uses tone in his stories. Mm -hmm the way that he describes the setting. And I think we talked about this in Catelyn number two. It just felt like everything was very bleak and gray. But again, kind of like what you were saying before, how he gives you the cold hard facts. It's not over embellished. It feels real. Like there's the storm happening and then you hear um, the direwolf that's howling because he's set apart because he obviously can't be near his direwolf. And it just creates a eeriness there but it's an eeriness there that you can believe is real in that setting, in that world. So you feel grounded in it. And I think that George R. R. Martin is a genius with the character perspectives he chooses. Mm -hmm. It was perfect seeing this through Catelyn Stark's eyes, especially considering the amount of grief she's gone through. Like you said, that she's really seeing that we're, we're losing hope here. It's really the loss of hope. Hope is just, it's dead at this point, practically. There's so little of it left. Well, I, and, you know, we'll make our way through this chapter, but to that point, it's a perfect time to bring it up. At the very end of this chapter, 
we see Jane and Catelyn have a discussion about something that she can do for Rob, which is give him an heir. And at first you see this and you're like, wow, you know, Catelyn's warming up to Jane, even though it was a mistake and everything else. And the, the final paragraph, uh, I just want to see, you know, what people think of this. Uh, it says, when the girl had gone, Catelyn turned back to her father and smoothed the thin white hair across his brow. An Eddard and a Brandon, she sighed softly, and perhaps in time a hoster. Would you like that? He did not answer, but she had never expected that he would. As the sound of the rain on the roof mingled with her father's breathing, she thought about uh, Jane. The girl did seem to have a good heart, just as Rob had said, and good hips, which might be more important. And at first I thought, okay, well, she's thinking like, how can, you know, what's the next step for us? No, 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 no. And this is like my seventh time reading this chapter, probably my life. But this is her accepting Rob is going to die. Yeah. Very harrowing. She is, she has lost hope and she is saying, I have to have an heir because Rob, like Rickon, like Brant, they, she, he will, he's going to die and he needs an heir. So I have someone else to, to look after. And I've never read it like that before until today. And it just shows you rereading these books go miles and miles and miles. And this is not spelled out for us. Um, you could read this in a way where you're like, okay, she's like, trying to think about the future and she's trying to be optimistic and Jane's going to be a good bride. But in, in all reality, especially with her talking to Jane and saying, sometimes, you know, there's nothing you can do because Jane is basically said, Hey, Rob is uh unconsolable. He has beheaded car Stark and he is at his bottom of his barrel. And Catelyn's advice to her says, sometimes Catelyn said slowly, the best thing you can do is nothing. When I first came to Winterfell, I was hurt whenever Ned went to the godswood to sit beneath his heart tree. Part of his soul was in that tree. I knew a part I would never share. Yet without that part, I soon realized he would not have been Ned. Jane child, you have wed the north as I did. And in the north, the winters will come. She tried to smile. Be patient. Be understanding. He loves you and he needs you and he will come back to you soon enough. This very night, perhaps be there when he does. That is all I can tell you. First off, great, great advice. Like, I just think this is a beautiful passage, but it feels like it just feels like nothing. Like sometimes nothing is what you can do. And I think Catelyn feels like she's powerless in this situation as well. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And it's, a, it's pretty impressive that she comes out with that passage. Cause like you said, it's so, it's so perfect in a way that was the perfect thing to say. Mm -hmm. And she's asking a woman who's lost all hope. Yeah. Like where does, you know, asking the hopeless for hope. I mean, if there's anyone that that's still going on that can handle it, it would be Catelyn. So she is a great person to ask. Right. Um, there is a bit of uh there is a bit of war here though. Whenever she says a King must have an heir, Jane smiled at that. My mother says the same. She makes a posset for me, herbs, milk, and ale to help make me fertile. I drink it every morning. I told Rob I would be sure to give him twins, yada, yada, yada. And she says, hey, we try once a day, sometimes twice a day. You know, and first off, I'm like, why would you tell his mother that? But uh, the more important thing is that her mom is feeding her milk of the poppy or, or some sort of agent to discharge uh, any chance of being pregnant and the chapter before this joanna you weren't here last time but we went over a small council where tywin just seemed like he knew a lot of what was going on and he knew jane westerling's mother 
and he seemed very confident that things were going to go their way. And it's clear that he had corrupted Jane's mom and that this was all like, it's, it's so obvious on the reread, but it's just sad because I think this is our point where we say, Hey, Jane is a good person. And Jane, this is our signifier to say Jane is not in on it. Cause last chapter, it almost sounded like Jane could have been in on it. But I think reading this, you see that she is not in on it and it's just her mother and she's feeding her that drink. And then like, you could just miss that on that first read. It is so good. It's just slipped in there. So are those herbs to make her sterile? I think it's to just kind of eject any chance. You know what I mean? It's like a plan B pill essentially in Westeros. That's what she's doing to her. And how sad is that? And the funny thing is, I think we and you have talked about this before. We think Jane's pregnant, right? And Feast for Crows. We think she's pregnant. Yeah, I mean, I'm on the fence about it a little bit because I think we talked about this in one of our previous chats as well. The only thing that makes me wonder, though, is that the fray that Edmer ends up marrying, mm -hmm. she ends up pregnant from the Red Wedding. And then by... So I think it's in a feast for crows. I'm not sure. Whenever Jamie intersects him, she's showing, but Jane wasn't necessarily showing when Jamie intersected with Jane. That's right. And I think there's some sort of like description of her wearing a cloak, though, right? Like I think. Well, the yeah, there could be. There could be. I hope yeah, she I is. <laughs> and I also, I, I think I also got the idea too from. I like how I like how you talked about that last line and good hips, which might be more important the way that you're reading that last line. When I looked at that line, and when I look at that line even now, I still am hoping that it's foreshadowing or that it's uh, hinting that maybe uh, there will be an error. But yeah. it's hard to know. And then what you said, but then what you said about Jane's mother. Yeah, I'm just thinking that maybe she didn't take it one day and she got lucky. Like, we won't know until Winds of Winter comes out in, you know, 2024 December or November that's my guess but um I just thought that that was very significant and worth pointing out and before we jump back to the beginning of the chapter <laughs> and it's funny because this is actually like the very tail end of the chapter in small pieces I have a silly question for you uh Rob is just inconsolable he's in his he's in his uh I, I want to say study but he's in his tent or whatever wherever he is at and it said all morning he spent writing a letter and told me not to disturb him. But when the letter was done, he burned it. What do you think? Who do you think that letter was to? I wanted to ask you that. <laughs> I was wondering the same thing. But doesn't he get a letter out right before the red, red wedding? That's I supposed so. to go to Jon Snow? Yeah, I believe so. I think it might be. There's a whole thing about Rob's will. Um, and that the heir of Winterfell is actually Jon Snow. And that's what he signed over. So... I don't know, but I think that this letter, sometimes I wonder if he was writing it to his father and then just wrote it to get it out and then burned it. But I also wondered if he was writing a letter to Tywin to say, hey, because he says, you know, in this chapter, they discuss whether or not they should tell the fathers. And I wonder if he's battling with that decision as well. But I, I, I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting question. Like, who was Rob writing a letter for and why did he burn it? So, um we, we will never know, unfortunately. <laughs> oh. um, but jumping back to the beginning of the chapter uh, and kind of going through the, we don't have to go chronologically, but jumping back into the main thing, which is these boys being brought in. Um, you talked about atmosphere and tone. Uh, this is about as good as it gets. They carried the corpses in upon their shoulders and laid them beneath the dais. 
A silence fell across the torchlit hall. In the quiet, Catelyn could hear Grey Wind howling half a castle away. He smells the blood, she thought. Through stone walls and wooden doors, through night and rain, he still knows the scent of death and ruin. Man, when a when a direwolf is saying there's trouble, it's always a signifier here at the beginning of the chapter that this is not good. Like this is not yeah. good. Uh, we saw Grey Wind get sent away in the last chapter that you were on for. And it's just more foreshadowing here that these wolves are special and uh, this say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill this is not going to bode well for old rob very rough absolutely um, heartbreaking i it's absolutely heartbreaking um i just want to mention too about the rain because i i really love the way that this chapter like you said it kind of functions almost like a short story in and of itself and it feels to me like Everything is looking pretty bleak here, right? With the the bodies being brought in. Mm -hmm. But I also love that when um, when Blackfish enters, I'm trying to see if I could find where that is. There's like a, the storm starts to get much more intense. There's a lot more lightning and thunder and it gets, it just gets so much more intense with this meeting. And that's when they discover that he lost the other Karstark men when he was chasing them down. So it's like more hope is lost. The horror just grows and grows. And I'm trying to see if I could find that exact part. But it was pretty interesting the way that he did that with the storm. And you even see later on, yeah, it says here, the doors of the hall crashed open and Blackfish entered with water running from his cloak and helm. And uh, he's, the Tully men at arms followed him in. While outside, lightning cracked across the sky and a hard black rain pounded against the stones of Riverfell, Riverrun, sorry. Sir Brandon removed his helm and went to one knee. Your grace was all he said, but the grimness of his tone spoke volumes. Mm. Brendan Blackfish, one of the best, like, I would say not insignificant characters, but a side character nonetheless very good presence for him entering and that description of the atmosphere changing. Whew, whew, oh, I love it. I love it too. I <laughs> love that part. It's and yeah, it's just so it's like you, when things feel like they can't get any worse, they still keep getting worse. <laughs> um, yeah. In very realistic ways as well like he could just pile it on and have misfortune after misfortune but these are all very calculated moves that we've seen set up through books one and two uh so he's not just springing the these on us in one chapter we're seeing the revelations of it in one chapter but this is something that we've been building for back even before catlin let jamie go at the end of clash kings this is uh mm -hmm. this is paying off a lot of pages worth of time and this is where we see rob <sighs> make a make a some judgments and we hear about all the other people who were there and he orders them all hung 
And they say, even the dead? And he says, yes, even the dead. I will not have them taint my uncle's river. It's mm -hmm. like, wow, he is brutal. And then the one says, um, uh, one of the captains dropped to his knees. Mercy, sire. I killed no one. I only stood at the door to watch for guards. Rob considered that a moment. Did you know that Lord Rickard and what Lord Rickard intended? Did you see the knives drawn? Did you hear the shouts, the screams, and the cries for mercy? Ay, I did, but I took no part. I was only the watcher. I swear it. And this is like one of the coldest lines in the whole series. Lord Umber said, Rob, this is this one was only the watcher. Hang him last so he may watch the others die. <laughs> that is one of the coldest lines I've ever heard from, from his mouth. My goodness. I mean, it is absolutely brutal. And, and, and at one point, Catelyn says this. He's just a boy. And he is just a boy. Let's remember, he's 16, 17 years old. And for him to actually make these judgments and do these things and to follow his heart um, and what is right is impressive. Also kind of sad because there's a loss of innocence here. But it also feels like Rob follows the noble and just thing at the wrong times. Because like here he... He's saying he's going to let word out of River Run because he has to tell the, um, you know, the fathers of the people who were slayed. But he also has an opportunity to hold Karstark hostage and chooses to do, you know, the just thing or the right thing or the honorable thing. But he didn't do the honorable thing when it came to Jane West. Well, he did technically because he took, you know, her maidenhood. So he felt like he was on, he was taking her honor and ruining his own. <laughs> and in that moment, he broke everything. So it's just like he's picking the wrong moments to be honorable. Like, you know what I'm saying? And yes. one thing I wanted to bring up in this chapter specifically, I've never heard anyone talk about this in this chapter. Edmir Tolly is a better Game of Thrones player than Catelyn. He's better than um, Rob, and he's certainly better than someone like Cersei. And the reason why I say this is because Edmure gets treated like a dunce. By the people in the book, definitely in the show, he gets treated like a dunce. But there are multiple times this chapter where he gives the right advice. He says, no word of this must leave River Run, her brother Admir said. Lord Tywin would. The Lannisters pay their debts. They are always saying that. Mother have mercy when he hears. Later on, whenever Karstark, they're talking about, well, we have to kill him. He says, pardon him. Like, just pardon him, dum-dums. And then there's another one uh, whenever he basically says, um, you know, will the phrase Rob is saying, will the phrase in Lannisters thank me for taking Karstark's head? Of course not. And Edmure goes, all the more reason to spare Lord Rickard's life and keep him hostage. You might be able to get his men back. You might be able to even leverage on his son, Harrion, who's at uh, Harrenhal. And uh, yeah, Edmure is given the best advice in the chapter and no one's and, listening to him. And even Blackfish seems to agree with him on the mm -hmm. hostage idea. And yeah. even Catelyn for, okay, this is what I find interesting because this, it's an understandable given where Catelyn is at this point, maybe. But one thing that surprised me a little bit rereading this particular chapter is that if this situation had happened earlier on in the story, maybe before um, so much had happened with her children or the news of her children anyway, I feel like she might've behaved differently because in that particular exchange, when they're talking about a hostage, yes, a hostage. And there's even a line in her thoughts where Catelyn says a hostage, it might be best. And that's in her mind, but she doesn't say anything. And I feel like beforehand, she would have said something. She would have said, Rob, you need to think about this. You need to think about this idea about a hostage. 
but she doesn't intervene. You know why? I think it's because in our last chapter, we saw Rob put her in her place and treat her totally different than he had ever treated her whenever she was a prisoner. And I think she has fallen into the role. I think that she believes that Rob has become a man in front of her very own eyes and that any detraction from him in this moment from being kingly and making him seem like a son would actually only further put his rule in question. I think that is what is going on. And honestly, I think she's defeated. I think she's yes. completely defeated at this point. Yeah, she's. I totally agree with you. That absolutely makes sense. It's just interesting to see that change in her, isn't it? Yeah, and, it's big. And, and the fact that she's also feeling so guilty in the scene. She feels yeah. like the blood is on her hands in a way. And Karstark, he makes her feel that way too. He he knows he plays on that. He pushes on that button. Oh yeah, he uh, he essentially says it, it. You know, it's your mother's fault, and it doesn't do him any favors because he ends up with his head on a block. And uh, man, he goes into this big thing about how he was named after Rob's grandfather and how the Karstarks and the Starks have been one in one together forever in the North. And you know, we talk a lot about in fantasy books how exposition can feel ham-fisted in dialogue. And you know, if, for instance, it's like, oh, of course, you know, the God of da 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 da, and they explain something the character should know. This is one of those times where reciting a bunch of like history makes a lot of sense in this moment. And George waits to this moment to do it. He could have easily done this in exposition and said, uh, the car Starks and the Starks had always been da, 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 da. He could have made that an internal dialogue with Catelyn's thoughts, but instead he saves it for this, this chopping block scene. And it has so much weight behind it because you feel this, there's a, uh, just a severance between the two generations and centuries of of basically family right he talks about the kinship we are kin stark and car stark and rob responds with this this kinship did not stop you from betraying me and it will not save you now kneel my lord another cold ass line from rob stark my god yes <laughs> goodness oh yeah goodness. um i i find it interesting like how when um Edmer is basically saying, but why, like, why not keep them as hostages or why not keep him as a hostage? And, uh, and he says here, what does he say here? Something about, um, Rickard Stark killed more than a fray in a Lannister. He killed my honor. I shall deal with him at dawn. Oof. I think your and honor is so dead when you, yeah, uh, well, um... And I, I kind of wrote a note to myself. I'm like, this is the problem when your honor has too much ego in it, because mm. this is not the most strategic choice here. <laughs> this is not the right move, in my opinion. It know. is a hor horrible move. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. He just picks the most inopportune times to be, I mean, ju just like his father, actually. Because, uh, you know, the, the thing about Eddard's arc and this first book of, of the series is that the one time Ned betrays his honor other than lying for Liana, right. Is at the very end where he admits that he did treason. He admits to everything he was accused of, even though he didn't do it. And for that, it justifies Joffrey's rash decision to murder him. And it's like the Starks are so bad at picking their spots. They're so bad at it. And if they had just listened to Edmure right here, a lot of stuff could have went differently. Now, I do I still think the Red Wedding happens? Yes. 
Do I think maybe the car Starks being there with all, it possibly would have made a difference? Maybe. Um, but re regardless, you know, Rob is, is like his father and the fact that he just can't seem to pick the right moments to be honorable. Yeah. I was thinking that too. I, even though I am um, putting a lot of blame on Rob for that decision in this chapter, I don't know how much of a difference it would have made. I mean, they, they make it very clear that their enemies are all around them. Yes. And freeing Jamie. Um, you could argue the freeing Jamie was the beginning of the downfall. And then Rob around, you know, possibly even the same time is marrying Jane. And it's like those decisions made in the last book are actually coming to roost here. I mean, it is, it's not good. No. <laughs> And Karstark takes the sentence, curses him, and uh, says, kill me, and he cursed. Uh, wait, yeah, kill me, and he cursed. You are no king of mine. And the axe crashed down heavy and well honed. It killed at a single blow, but it took three to sever the man's head from his body. And by the time it was done, both living and dead were drenched in blood. Rob flung the poleaxe down in disgust and turned wordless to the heart tree. He stood shaking with his hands clenched and the rain running down his cheeks. Gods forgive him, Catelyn prayed in silence. He is only a boy and had no other choice. And uh, there's some time passage, but man, what a scene. It's like he's murdering Car Stark, right? And getting this, I should say executing, executing Car Stark. And there's blood. His blood is obviously being spilled, but everyone is covered in blood, which by the end of this book, everyone that is at this besides Blackfish and the, the other Tullys, really, um, they will be in their own blood. They will be they will be dead by the end of this book. And in some ways, I think this kind of signifies it. Um, it's it's rough, sad, actually. Yeah, it's interesting how she says that he, he had no other choice. Because mm -hmm. I, I actually went back and forth in my head. I'm like, does she see it that way? Does she at the end of the day agree with Rob? Or is that maybe just her way of trying to convince herself he had no other choice just to try to see his innocence because that part of her as a mother can't help it. Yeah. I think last chapter she was almost felt disrespected at her son being a man, but also seeing him as a King. And then this chapter was her kind of accepting it and taking that backseat role, what we just talked about. And then this is her seeing the boy again, you know, and saying he had no choice and, and Hey, maybe he didn't like, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. It's hard to say play the what if game. Um, it was certainly a choice. It was certainly in his mind. He had no choice in his mind. That was the code he had to live by. Yeah. Wolf poor car Stark. And, and you know, when I first read this back in the day and I know other people felt like this first time I read this, I was like, yeah, kill him. Chop his head off. Rob's a bad, like that's how I read it. I was like, Rob's a badass. Like he did it good i'm glad he's dead and now you read it and you know everything that happens and you can see how bad these moves are and you're like no don't and you actually feel for car start too because he has lost children uh it, it just shows i think sometimes this series gets called um you know a thrills and kills soap opera i've seen people actually levy that michael morcock actually said that about the series even though he likes george he was like let's be honest just a soap opera but I disagree. I think that these moments could seem um, very flashy and, um, you know, gratifying. But in reality, all this all this bad stuff that's happening is extremely nuanced and steeped in multiple, multiple layers of decisions made by multiple people in power. 
and of significance. And the way George is able to weave this all in and not really tell us what's right and wrong in this situation uh, is masterful. I mean, it's the best. Mm. It's the best fantasy yes. series ever written, folks. The bar none. Yeah. There's really no other. <laughs> there, no one else. Is <laughs> it. It's entertaining. Uh, it's deep. Uh, and it has some of my favorite themes. And this chapter is just well, so good. It's such a banger. It's so good. That's funny. I think you're, oh, I think you're right though. I feel, I think I felt the same way the first time I read this chapter before knowing where the story goes. I think I also had a feeling like, yes, that's right. Stick by your honor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you make the strong decisions. You're the, you know, in right. But now uh, it's in a dance of dragons when John beheads Dolores Ed, right? Is it Dolores Ed that he beheads? Am I getting that wrong? Mm. Or he, I no, look Ed, it up. I'm not walk. sure. I'm sorry. He uh, he beheads. Um, oh, my goodness. I, I always forget his name. He's the guy that Tyrion sends to the Night's Watch. Janice Lynn. Oh, I'm sorry. Janice Ed fetches the block. Ed, he said, Ed, fetch me my block. And then he executes him. I wonder, is there any parallels between these two scenes? That's a good question. I'm Did sure John? That one. Yeah, like, I, I, you know, I, you can make an argument. There's a lot of stuff John does that ends up leading to him being stabbed to death uh, at the end of it. Answer the dragons. But is there a chance that the beheading of Janice Slint escalated things to the point of like violence? Is that possible? I don't, I don't know. But I think it's interesting. We have two Stark boys taking people's heads in the series. And I would be shocked if there isn't some parallels between those two scenes. And folks, if you're listening and you have any ideas about how these two scenes connect, you know, feel free to shoot us a raven. We'd love to hear it. Um, but I immediately thought of that today when I was reading this. I was like, man, when Janice gets beheaded, also a scene where I was like, please cut this dude's head off. <laughs> like, I am begging you to cut this guy's head off. And then he does and you're happy. But I don't know if it necessarily does much for John at the wall. You know, it's funny you say that, though. I did think of John and John's situation at the wall, partic particularly the part when Rob says um, that he doesn't know who his friends are from his enemies anymore. That particular line just made me think of John's dilemma. Yeah. And you could probably say that about a lot of different characters and their situations in the series, but. Especially Danny and Maureen. I mean, Danny has literally no idea. She's in the Viper's pit over there. Yeah. All she's got is good old Barristan. <laughs> That's all she's got. <laughs> and expecting betrayals left and right. Mm -hmm. You know, just sitting here talking about John and Rob and being brothers and like how much love they had for each other in the first book. It is really sad that John and Rob will never see each other again. Yeah. It's really sad. It's so sad. And it's like, oh. not something we really have time to think much about while we're with John. Cause he's dealing with so many things, but it is, uh, it's something when you reflect on it, it is really heartbreaking thinking about where we were in book one and John's going to the wall wall and, you know, Rob is, marching off the wall. It's just like, man, you thought they would be reunited at some point, but no, never. I think it makes book one even more bittersweet in a way when they are together at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're rereading it and you know that they're not going to get back together. Ugh. Ugh. And Hey, let's be honest. Uh, everyone we know at some point we will say our last goodbyes. And that is a very, like harsh reality of being a being and being alive. <laughs> and I don't know, there's something that you can connect to with that, I think, because like, I'm sure John Snow thought that him and 
Nedard or Edard would talk, right? He thought they would talk again. Rob thought he would see his father again. And like, he just never saw him again. It's like, oh, it's crushing. Yeah. Wow. I don't know of any other author or series where things that get this low and this bleak actually get even worse <laughs> later <laughs> on. In the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because like there's a line in this particular chapter. It's in Catelyn's thoughts. It's a, again, speaking to that storm in the atmosphere again. It says outside the thunder crashed and boomed so loud. It sounded as if the castle was as if the castle were coming down about their ears. Is this the sound of a kingdom falling? Catelyn oh. wondered. Oh, goodness. What a great line. And then Karstark in the same, I think, scene says that he's the king of the north or the king that lost the north. And he is. He doesn't even realize it yet, but he has lost the north. He lost it to, um, you know, the Ironborn, but he's also lost it to Roose Bolton. Yeah. Hmm. I would feel, I would think that things couldn't get any worse after this chapter, and then I know that they do. So it's just... <laughs> But it's amazing that he's able to pull that off. And yeah. again, I feel like all the Catelyn chapters in this book, I, I want to say the last chapter was, if I recall correctly from our last conversation, also very bleak and gray and oh yeah, drear. And we know the Red Wedding is like that too. And this particular chapter, the thunderstorm just, it gets so wild. So, And Hoster's health that. is declining each chapter that we see. Mm. He is slowly yes. dying. Uh, lots of death, <laughs> lots yes. of, lots of bad things happening around the Starks. And, you know, I do want to reiterate last week was one of the best chapters in a song of ice fire, which was the small council with Tywin. And it hinted so much at the Jane Westerling stuff. And then we get a Catelyn chapter and we get just a little scene where, you know, you could not connect these things. And we see that Jane is being given some sort of plan B and Westeros type deal. And the next week is Jamie's chapter who is essentially the decision of letting him go was what ruined the Karstark's, uh, you know, allyship. So it's like George puts these chapters together in this order for a very specific reason. We know that he uh, does tend to write POVs in, in like groups. So he'll write all the Catelyn POVs and then he'll write a bunch of Tyrion POVs. And then he like mixes them in and then he rewrites them as he places them. Uh, it, it's it's pretty clear when you when you look at the structure of these books how important the order is and uh, I'm so curious to see what we find in Jamie three uh, next week but uh, what what a chapter what a chapter for uh, Catelyn did you have any other notes or anything to note in the chapter um, no I think that that just about covers it for me I'm just really impressed with this chapter it's yeah, powerful six pages powerful. yeah six pages it's a short story uh, it is. Uh, the next step in the in the falling and the crumbling <laughs> of house stark uh joanna thank you so much for coming on and chatting about uh this chapter and uh filling in for sir matt i know he appreciates it so well he told me to tell you thanks and uh, we would love to have you on um at any point uh so if there's ever any chapter that you're really into and you're like i want to talk about that chapter please let us know and also when you finish dunkin egg you got to come on and tell us how you liked it because you're gonna love it i certainly will thank you so much this was fun. absolutely yeah, absolutely. It's always fun to have you on. Can you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Sure. So I have a YouTube channel. It's called Joanna at, or you can look at it at, at Joanna underscore reads. That's the best place to find me. Yep. And we will also have that linked in the description below. Joanna, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much.
Absolutely. Well, we want to thank you for playing the Game of Thrones. In our next episode, we will be discussing A Storm of Swords, Jamie 3. If you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, leave a comment, or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com or bendthekneepodcast.com. We'll see you next time. And remember, winter is coming. credit card bill.